This podcast is produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Today, I'm actually sitting face-to-face with the person I'm interviewing. Usually, it's by Skype, and I'm alone in my kitchen. But today, we're in a conference room at the Capitol Factory in downtown Austin, Texas, and I am interviewing Kenny Van Zant. And Kenny is a serial entrepreneur who got his start here in Austin, Texas after graduating from the University of Texas. He had a short stint working for a large technology company, and about four minutes later, jumped out and started his own business. And he's been a serial entrepreneur entrepreneur ever since. He is now the head of the business team for Asana. And so, Kenny, welcome back to Austin. And why don't you tell us a little bit about Asana and what you guys are up to? Thanks, Tom. Uh, Super happy to be here with you uh, in what is now rainy uh, downtown Austin, Texas. But um, yeah, so Asana, we're a San Francisco-based software company uh, that makes tools for team productivity. Uh, Companies use Asana to help track the work they're doing, to help uh, create accountability, uh, organize the work they're doing, and just get their uh, what they're trying to do as a company and as a team done more efficiently. So you left Austin how long ago? So I, uh, after my last company here, a company called SolarWinds here in Austin, uh, I left in 2010, moved out there originally temporarily, and then decided to stay permanently in 2011. So about almost five years. So what is the biggest difference you've seen from living in Austin to living in the Bay Area? So that's a great question. I've got lots of, uh, of answers to that. Um, you know, I, I was essentially born and raised here. Uh, I've lived in Austin for almost my entire life and had developed a bunch of opinions about the Bay Area that were very firmly held, but not really rooted in fact. Uh, so I had that the classic, you know, sort of uh, non-technology or non-Bay Area chip on my shoulder. Uh, moved out there and realized that all of those things were just patently not true. The Bay Area is a lot more uh, open, uh, and, you know, a lot more like Austin, frankly, than I had given it credit for. Um, a lot, uh, very full of entrepreneurs who want to uh, meet, share, talk. Uh, it does move quick, but there's and there's new people there every day. But it was just a lot easier to get in- involved than I thought it was going to be. I had assumed it would be this just really closed off market, and it was, wasn't like that at all. It was uh, really very familiar to me coming from you know a place like Austin, uh, a lot more so than I thought it was going to be. So do you think that's something common when an entrepreneur spends most of his career in one city that they sort of have sort of their blinders on? Because I actually grew up in California. My wife's a fifth generation Northern California. There's actually a street in San Francisco named after her family. So we moved out here 24 years ago, and we had the same feeling about, oh, Austin, Texas, my gosh. We thought we'd stay three years. And of course, once we got here, you know, Austin started to boom, not not because we moved here. Although if anyone wants to give us credit, we we did come in in August of, uh, uh, you know, uh, 1991, which is about the time that Austin started to turn around and start booming. So, you know, there there was a little bit of uh, of coincidence there or maybe it wasn't. But do you think a lot of people assume that where they live is the best for a lot of reasons and maybe some negatives about other places? You know, I, I, I certainly think that there is uh, there are people who have got to be like me who uh, who had a very originally sort of provincial attitude about you know where I'm from is the best and where I'm from is unique for these reasons and no place can be like this and you know as it turns out I think uh, there are good people everywhere um, their you know cultures are different 
you know, it's true that there's, there are, you know, weather can be different. Cultures are different. There are different environmental factors just, you know, in every place you go. But uh, if you're trying to start a business, I don't think there's like a bad place. Uh, and I was, I, you know, I just realized that, that I just carried all these really strongly held assumptions about what it would mean to start a business in the Bay Area that were just completely wrong. And I, you know, encourage people to like do their own research about that. So what led you to becoming an entrepreneur in the first place? So I had a really great opportunity uh, right out of the gate uh, when I was in college. Uh, my roommate went to work for a small company. He didn't even call it a startup back then. Uh, and, and he basically said, hey, you know what? We need to hire someone in tech support. You know, why don't you stop working for your, you know, as a runner for a law firm? Just come do you know, afternoon tech support for this technology company. So really early on, even while I was getting an engineering degree at UT, I was already sort of in the startup scene uh, and sort of feeling what that excitement felt like and, and, and you know, what that, what that meant. And I really never worked for a company that wasn't uh, a startup for very long after that. I was always looking for that like energy and that excitement. What led me to sort of break out on my own and actually do one uh, was the good you know, fortune of having been at a startup that had had some success, had been acquired by Cisco Systems uh, right around 99 timeframe. And it was just one of those times when Anyone who had a good idea and a little momentum and, you know, some and sort of the, the guts to try something could raise money and start a company. So my timing was really good. Uh, you know, well, it was really good to get started. The timing wasn't so good a couple years later, but uh, but we were able to sort of, you know, build up a, a really meaningful business before the uh, the dot com uh, kind of crash and telecom crash that took a bunch of people down. Uh, and, and we just learned a lot of stuff along the way. So I guess, you know, very, being very, very lucky is a common theme in my, uh, in my career. Cause that was just, you know, fortuitous timing when I was ready, I had a good idea and the market was sort of like, uh, amenable to people without experience starting companies. So what do you, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. If you started back around 99, what do you absolutely love about the lifestyle of being an entrepreneur? So there's so much that I like about uh, about uh, entrepreneurialism from uh, just the energy you get from taking an idea and having nothing the day you start and everything you do is creating something from nothing. That's like an extremely exciting idea, for, at least for me, uh, versus in larger companies, almost everything is sort of a derivative work and maybe it's you're part of something uh, or you're improving on something. But in a startup, you literally have nothing when you get going. And that's just like, it's really cool to know that you're always creating something from nothing. That's really fun. But I would say the part that I enjoy the most probably is there's just no um, experience like bringing a team together and uh, and sort of helping them grow and learn as people. I remember when I did start that very first company, like the this really hit me. I, I was full of the idea, really excited about about the market opportunity, you know, my, believing every word of the business plan that I had written and all that stuff. And then we hired our first two employees and they happened to come from the same company. And we were out of town meeting customers, flew in and they were having a good a, a goodbye party. Their company's having a goodbye party for the two employees. And we showed up at the goodbye party and their parents were there and they were looking at us and they were like, Thank you for shepherding, you know, the next part of their career. And that was the first time it dawned on me, like, oh my God, this changes people's lives. And I've just like done something irrevocably. I cannot like undo them leaving their really good job at IBM or, you know, wherever they were at the time to come work for 
you know, our little startup. And that was when it really hit home with me that it's a, it's about the people and like the growth you can give people that I just don't think larger teams make as available to people as you get when you're an entrepreneur is like, you know, being able to actually develop people. Super exciting. Well, and it really is, you know, all about the people. I mean, we're all in relationship businesses, no matter what we're doing, but you bring up an interesting thing. You were young, you were excited. You said the words, I believed my business plan. How important do you think a business plan sort of in the traditional formal way is for a startup entrepreneur? You know, it, it, so it, it used to be an inc- a required ingredient of raising startup capital, wherever the startup capital came from. Uh, but over time, that has become less and less true to the point to where now I never hear those words spoken. You will, uh, re- you know, you'll almost always have to have some kind of material that you've prepared about your market, about your idea, um, you know, something about your team. Uh, you know, almost all of it now these nowadays is just uh, you know slides or some kind of like you know a document you can send ahead of time. But a, a real business plan where you're trying to forecast what something's going to look like three or four or five years from now, I think people realize is kind of crazy at the pace in which technology changes, especially, you just have really no idea. So yeah, we wrote one at the time. And the other day I was reflecting on that. I actually found a bound copy of it. And I kind of laughed because, you know, I haven't seen one of those in a decade. I get pitch decks all the time still. So you still, you know, have them in the form of sort of PowerPoint or keynote slides, but an actual formal written pressed bound business plan, it's kind of gone away. So I asked you what you loved about the life of an entrepreneur. Is there anything you don't like? Are there any days you wake up and think, I could have stayed at Cisco? Sure. Who doesn't have uh, have those days? You know, I think that the thing that is um, uh, harder, at least for me, uh, as an entrepreneur than I know it has been when I've just sort of, quote unquote, had a job, is uh, turning it off. So, you know, I, I, I always tell the story that like you, you become accustomed to the concept of being somewhere and having a moment of distraction where all of a sudden your mind wanders back to your company and your the thing you're trying to get off the ground and you become very present with that as opposed to being very present with where you are and you can practice and get better at these things you can you know uh, there's many techniques for sort of practicing being present but I think try starting a company and you will really be tested on how to do this. You wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go back to sleep. You're at the movies and you realize you haven't listened to the last five minutes of conversation. You're in the car and you're not paying attention to what's going on. Like it just, it starts to, because you get excited about it, just take over your mind in a way that nothing else ever has before. And that's both, I think, really exhilarating, but on your bad days and where you're worrying about things, it can be, um, it can be oppressive and you have to just have space for uh, dealing with that and you have to practice not being distracted by it and you have to have uh, you know good self-awareness to know like what it takes to do better and to, and to sort of you know fix the thing that you're stressed out about so and that leads to the question of sort of you know work-life balance you're married you have a couple of young children uh, how do you balance everything that it takes to you know start companies and grow companies while at the same time you know being there for your family so I actually I, I, I tend to, to, I get this question a lot and I tend to start off by saying that I reject the idea of balance because I believe, I believe balance implies uh, a polarity and sort of like two sides of a scale. And I, I'm, I'm much more, you know, even though it's symbolic, I'm much more uh, 
uh, a fan of framing it as as work life integration. Like, how do you make sure that you're able to? Because you, you know, you, one minute you're working and one minute you're you're sort of living the rest of your life, your family life, your personal life, and those minutes aren't bifurcated by like exactly an eight hour day. So when my wife needs to reach me during the day, I I'm going to break away and have that conversation because it's important to her and it's okay. I need to make space for that at work. And in the evening, I might need to do something that's work related for a little bit. And if you make space, you can actually integrate these things. The the key is to, in my view, is to um, realize that you are not going to, you know, uh, make equal space every day and to look at it over a much longer period of time. And if you realize that there may even be sometimes you're like this month, I'm going to be really, really, you know, putting my nose to the wheel this month. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be you know, making a lot of, uh, uh, of decisions that I wouldn't normally make. And then a month later, I might take a good 10 day vacation and get the opposite, you know, balance back or the opposite sort of, you know, percentage back. And so I think if you look at it every day, you'll start to resent, you know, the, the times you're not in control. But if you look at it over a longer period of time, and you sort of see it more as how do you integrate these two pieces, as opposed to balancing them, I think they become like they, they cohabitate as opposed to uh, uh, you know, oppose each other. I actually fully agree with you. I don't think there is such a thing as balance. And actually, what I've found in the six years I've been working for myself is I actually, while I do work a lot and because of my job, I travel all the time, but I also have the right to say no. I also have the right to not work on a Tuesday because my kid is in a play. Whereas when I worked in corporate America, my boss expected me at work on Tuesday. You know, even if they had sort of good family policies, you couldn't pull too many days of going to see the play before people started looking crosswise at you. And, you know, I'm a solopreneur, so I can do what I want. And I actually, I think my wife would agree, while I do travel a lot and I've got a lot of responsibilities, when I'm home, I can be fully home. I can, I can choose when I'm, you know, integrated, as you put it. So what advice do you have for somebody who's listening who wants to start a company? Maybe they want to be a solopreneur like I am and start, you know, more of a consulting type practice, or maybe they want to be like you and start and grow companies that, you know, have huge teams and, and, and grow to, you know, large size with, with enterprise customers. What advice do you have for somebody? Well, lots. Um, I would say the two, the, 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 at, at that stage of the game, I think there's two really important points that, that I've found to be true over and over again. The first is that um, you... I feel like every entrepreneur ought to start start out as a somewhat reluctant entrepreneur. You should be you should be doing it because the idea you have uh, is you're so passionate about it that it is as uh, one of my my partners puts it, sort of beating out of your chest. Like you just have to do this thing. Uh, I believe that that too too often we see people who who make a decision of I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm starting now. Uh, and they have really they don't really have a pl- they don't have a plan, and they're not that passionate about anything. And the reason I think passion is so critical early is that it's really hard early. There's a lot of friction. There are a lot of obstacles, and you're alone. You know, even if you have a, a co-founder, it's still just the two of you. And you'll have moments where even between the two of you, you're in a different space. And so you really need to be passionate about the idea. Uh, when I started my first company, uh, I remember being at Dallas Fort Worth Airport, and I was on the phone with my co-founder, and I was driving in loops around the airport because I was getting on a plane, but I didn't want to get on a plane yet because he and I were having the conversation for like the fiftieth time. Is now the time? Is now the time? Are we really that serious? And we finally were both like, "Yes, we're we we just it's driving us crazy. I'm going to miss my flight just to start this company." And and that was when I was like, "Okay, that's the sign. I'm, we're ready now." That's the first thing. Second piece of advice is when you feel that way. That is the time. 
don't wait. There's no like, well, I feel that passionate, but I'm going to wait six more months from this job to happen. I'm going to wait four more months for this bonus to get paid out. Or I'm going to wait until the kids, like there's never a perfect time. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to be hard. So, you know, it's like my, my, my primary advice is to uh, look for that, you know, wait till the time is perfect. And then when it is like, go then don't, don't, you know, wait around, you know, once you have that idea that you're really, really passionate about. I've got lots more questions for you, Kenny, but first I got to thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. And I know this firsthand because ever since I started Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, I've been working with Podfly. They set you up with the right equipment, the right training, and the guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so you can focus on creating great content and growing your audience. They have an exclusive offer for our listeners at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Just visit podfly.net slash cool things. Now back to Kenny. So what about mentors throughout the way you started very young starting companies? Uh, did you have mentors along the way? Were there certain people who, you know, kind of gave you guidance? And now that you're sort of that seasoned entrepreneur who's been around the block a few times, do you, you know, invest your time to help others? Yeah, I, I've been, again, really, really fortunate in that I had uh, fantastic role models from the day that I was a part-time tech support person in a, in a, in a tech company. Um, I had really good role models. Uh uh, I will say that I didn't recognize them as such, which that maybe speaks to the 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 quality of their mentorship. Uh, I, I wish I had been more mindful and just more aware of the the possibility that that mentorship could play. Um, thankfully, uh, I was I, it still you know through osmosis got uh, got through my thick skull and I learned a thing or two, and that that um, is uh, has really I think set me up for now. I see the opportunities in you know the in the teams that i i lead and in the the companies that i've been a part of to turn that around and try to like you know create uh, uh future entrepreneurs who are you know maybe paying attention at a younger age and will develop more quickly and be more complete people by the time they reach you know whatever milestone you know because i uh you know i, I know that i had I've learned more in the last five years than I did in the first 20. And I feel like I'm always accelerating. And I wish I had like, you know, learned some of those meta lessons earlier. I might have like gone even farther or faster. But um, that's the that's sort of the main uh, thing, I think. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what are the coolest things that you're doing and that Asana is doing right now? Yeah, so uh, actually Asana right now is uh, we're doing something I think is pretty cool. We're in Austin. Uh, we're based in, in San Francisco, but we're in Austin because uh, we are launching a, a marketing campaign here in the Austin area that is includes some some out of home you know sign uh, signage some some digital marketing uh, we're having a couple of events I'm doing a speaking uh, uh, a talk tomorrow here at Capital Factory and uh, uh, you know we're just sort of trying to really celebrate the customers that we have as Asana here in Austin and the reason we chose Austin is that when we looked across all the cities excluding the Bay Area where we're located uh, in the world uh, Austin Austin per capita had the the most users, the most customers, the most interesting stories, and some of the highest growth of any city in the world. You know, we looked at London and Berlin and New York and Sydney and Chicago and a bunch of really big cities, and just Austin had this this magical combination of 
companies like City Hall using Asana and the, the food trucks using Asana and the tech companies using it. So we're here to, to, to engage their customers. We're going to have some appreciation events for them. We're going to launch this campaign, which really heavily features them in the Austin market and hopefully try to, uh, you know, sort of celebrate the, the momentum that, that we and they have uh, here in this market. So how important is it to come face to face with your customers and listen? You're kind of on a listening tour. What, you know, how important it is to listen to them. I have this this memory of uh, of forever ago. Like it had to have been like in the like ninety one or ninety two, uh, and I had been an engineer, uh, which meant I was working in a lab my entire career up to that point, which has only been a few years. Um, and uh, and I and I was lucky enough to be called out in the field with a salesperson to go on my first ever customer visit. And you know, I had to put on a tie, and I really, and actually, honestly, the company was we were going to visit IBM of all people, and uh, and so I'm 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 an engineer. I'm going with this salesperson. And I'm going to talk about this product that we're building, and we get in there, and we basically learn that the the project they were working on had been scrapped, and that there was this other project that was really important that they were working on, and it basically just really created this huge opportunity for the company. And as we were walking out, the sales guy said, you know, I've 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 talked to those guys, you know, ten times this month, but you know, you're, you'll always be surprised what you learn when you actually go talk to your customer. And like he was saying it in like, I think as a, as a way to teach a lesson that, that you can try to envision what you think they're doing. You can try to connect dots while you're on the phone or over email with them, but nothing replaces going and sitting down face to face with a customer and talking about how they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're working on, and 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 how your company may or may not fit into those plans. And I just remember those words that really stuck in my head, like, whoa, he's right. Like that was a really momentous meeting and we would never have had it if we weren't like in front of them. So in every company I've had since then, I've really prized the opportunities, not for my, not just for myself, but for the entire company to get in front of other people. This is we are we are humans. We like to look into the eyes of other humans and uh, and use that as not the only data point, but as one of the really really important data points in 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 how well you're doing and in what you could do differently. So you mentioned that just in Austin, your customers include solo food trucks, the city of Austin, and some of the major technology companies that are the movers and shakers of our tech community, and cookie bakers and everything in between. So how are they using your product? I mean, you know, a food truck and a major tech company, I wouldn't think would be using the same product. So how do they use this? If you think about it, uh, without sounding sort of too grandiose, it's really true that, that pretty much all human progress has been the result of, of teams of people getting together, aligning their energies in a common direction and trying to, to move something forward. And that is the definition of, you know, our progress as, as humanity. And what's, what we have observed at Asana is that the tools that we use today, the modern tools we use to help us coordinate, um, haven't really improved or haven't really helped us that much, that we all still rely on uh, technologies that are basically digital ripoffs of the physical world. We rely on email, sending messages to the post office. Uh, you know, in the digital world, and we rely on on office suites, things like like Word or Google Docs, which are basically uh, just ripoffs of a piece of paper and a and a, a a file folder, you know, an inbox on your desk. And so, at Asana, what we're trying to do is build brand new tools that help people uh, uh, collaborate, coordinate, and work together more effortless, effortlessly. And it turns out that that working together is something that uh, that you know. 
people who have a food truck and need to coordinate with vendors or with uh, places where they're, they're leasing you know, spaces to be or with outside clients, uh, they have the problem of coordination. turns out that the engineering teams at a very large technology companies are, are massive coordination efforts trying to you know, all decide who's going to do what and when it's going to you know, ship and, and you know, who owns the next piece of the puzzle. And it turns out that even governing, whether you're the city of Austin, the, 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 uh, the, the Providence, Rhode Island runs on Asana, a bunch of these like other governments uh, are, are all about coordinating people's efforts. That's just a, a very universal thing. And so we've built a product that we think works at two to you know, 2,000 people uh, and beyond. And, uh, and that's the reason why you see such diversity in, in uh, the types of people who are using Asana. So we could talk about you and Asana all day long. And you'd probably enjoy that. And I'm sure the audience would enjoy that. But I think the best entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. I think the best entrepreneurs aren't just paying attention to their own company, but they're watching what other people are doing and what other companies are doing. So who do you see out there who's doing something cool? So I, I, I think this, this is actually a really important lesson. Uh, I, one of the things that I, a common piece of advice that I dispense is, is to pay attention because I think that, uh, that there are a lot of things to learn uh, from watching other people. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll sort of highlight uh, a couple of things that I think are, are, are really important. So the first is um, here locally, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Chuck Gordon, who's over the CEO over at Sparefoot, uh, does something that he learned from Scott Cook at Intuit. Um, so it's been passed down. So I, won't, I can't credit it with Chuck, but he's the one that I know uh, is doing it right now, which is uh, he asks of himself and of, of almost anyone on his team to find someone that they look up to who's doing their job or what their job might look like in a few years and to shadow that person for a day. Go sit with them and learn, like, what does a day really look like? So, you know, uh, Chuck might take, and in fact, I think he did, I know he happened to, to go see the CEO of GoPro uh, and, and, and spent a day just walking around side by side with the CEO of GoPro. This is back before they went public. Uh, and you know, observe what does a day look like for a CEO of a company that has reached a billion dollars in value? That's a fascinating learning opportunity. And frankly, if you find the right type of entrepreneur, they'll really, really want to, uh, to sort of share that because they know that they didn't have that mentorship most likely. So that's a really cool, uh, idea that I, I, um, uh, you know, have, have, have already borrowed and, 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 you know, it given advice for some other folks to go do. Cause I think it's just uh, really fantastic. Um, and then I'll, I'll say that at the other end of the spectrum, uh, one of the things that I admire a lot, uh, about a very public CEO, uh, is I, I, there, he, he gets a little bit of uh, an interesting reputation, but Mark Benioff, who's the CEO of, of Salesforce, um, does something that I think is really amazing, which is that he, uh, he is essentially a walking talking points for what's the most important thing his company is focused on at that moment. And I think as leaders of teams of almost any size, uh, setting the context for what's important for your organization and for your customers and even for your market, in the case of, of Mark, he's so influential, um, that he could just be scatterbrained and be talking about thing, different things all the time every day, but he's not. He almost always has two or three really important points that he is making. And because of that, his entire organization is really marching to the same beat every day. That's one of the reasons why they have excelled for so many years in a row. And I just I find that discipline of being that focused 
you know, for a long period of time, months at a time to be just fascinating. I, I would love to have that kind of that kind of focus. So both of those are really interesting because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, it's like they're talking in squirrel. They're yes. over, you know, <laughs> they're over off on the different uh, different tangents. So to have that kind of focus and, and be be focused on those talking points is interesting. But, you know, when you talk about what Chuck is doing and going out and having his key people go and shadow people in other companies and people they admire, I run into this in my own world sort of as a professional speaker. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I know what it is to be a professional speaker because I saw Colin Powell speak once at a conference. And it's like, well, but that's not like the average person, right? That's a celebrity who's a speaker. Or they say, oh, I was at this conference and some local CEO spoke, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really the same thing either. If you stay on the outside and don't sort of peel back the onion, it's really easy to jump to conclusions about what someone's job is. And so getting close to them and sort of being able to look under the hood, I think that's absolutely fantastic advice. So I think that everybody who's listening, I think both of those, both of those tidbits are really good. So in addition to being observers, I also think that great entrepreneurs are more about you know, life than they are just about making money. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs really find their way to, to take on a cause or give back to the greater good. So, so what do you do, Kenny? So the thing that I have become really passionate about is, uh, is helping, uh, younger students who are just getting out of school, um, uh, get, further along than I know I, I was able to get when I was their age. I, uh, I, I basically, every time I get an invitation and an opportunity to go stand in front of, uh, graduates or people who are about to be graduates from college who are just making that, vi- that first really, really fateful decision about where are they going to go? Where are they going to live? What are they going to do? You know, what does a good job look like? Uh, I know that I took those first steps completely blindly, I uh, didn't have, I'm, you know, I was an only child, didn't have an older sibling to look up to. I was the first kid to graduate from school uh, as uh, in my family. And so just really didn't have any pattern to match whatsoever and got extraordinarily lucky. And so realizing that uh, and realizing how stressful that, looking back on that, how stressful that was, not knowing, um, I... Uh, I, I try to spend uh, as much time as I can with uh, with with you know the kids who are like at that that 19 20 21 year old age and try to like help them envision what those next two or three or four or five years might look like uh, how they might uh, you know think about the kind of progress they want to make in that time frame and uh, and and just and just give them the tools for being more self-aware and taking better inventory of, 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 you know, what their life is. Because the, like I essentially, the, my first 10 years after college, I don't, they were just a blur. I didn't even know what I did or I was just bouncing around. And like I say, I got very, very fortunate, but, uh, I think those are really important years. And I think I, you know, if, if you're, if you're thoughtful and you, um, and you really have a plan and you're paying attention, as I said earlier, then I just think you're going to have a much richer, you know, experience, be more successful on average. And so that to me is, I think a resource that most universities don't, they, they lack a little bit. They prepare you really well, maybe for your trade, but that transitions really hard. And so, um, that's my favorite thing is to, uh, is to, uh, get a chance to go stand in front of, uh, of university classes and, and, and talk about what those next few years are going to look like. So thank you so much for being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It was great being with you. So if someone's listening and they want to find out more information about Kenny Van Zant or more information about Asana, how would they find you? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just Kenny VZ on, uh, on on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to, to find out about me. But more importantly, find out about Asana by going to asana.com. 
Uh, and if you're in the Austin area, you can uh, check out our With Us On Austin campaign. There'll also be a lot of landing pages about that. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for being here with us on the show. And for those of you who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in again. We'll be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody as cool as Kenny Van Zant. Well, I don't know if we can find anybody as cool, but we'll try. We'll be back in a couple of days with that interview. But in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at @TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great-sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.